Hello, and welcome to Upleveling Work, a podcast about the strategies and solutions that real people are using for improving their work life so they can make a bigger impact and find more connection and fulfillment along the way. I'm your host, Michelle K. Anderson, and I'm an executive coach and the creator of the Conscious Leadership Framework. I'm on a mission to increase the diversity of leadership at organizations. And the work that I do as a coach is all about empowering women and minorities to become leaders who gracefully navigate complex work environments with confidence. Join me here each week to learn how to create high-performing teams without working more or burning out. This is episode seven, part two of how I use the Enneagram to help teams. I'm Michelle K. Anderson, and I'm excited to bring you this two-part series on the four ways that I use the Enneagram to help improve performance at work. If you're struggling to create a foundation of trust, establish psychological safety, or to communicate effectively, this episode is for you. If you are wondering how to take the Enneagram teaching deeper to improve workplace dynamics, or if you're curious about the work that I do with teams, keep listening. In the previous episode, we discussed both cultivating your unique leadership style and identifying the strengths and weaknesses of your team's style and the risks that this creates for the project execution. In this episode, we're going to continue to explore in detail how I use the Enneagram to both help build relationships and improve communication. You're going to want to pull up the show notes for this episode so that you can follow along. Check out Upleveling Work forward slash six to see the specific patterns that I discuss and to learn more. Let's pick up where we left off. The third way that I use the Enneagram to help teams increase their potential is to build relationships. And what I found is that you can reduce conflict by increasing the understanding that we have of each other. There are four specific patterns that the Enneagram can measure on your team to help you identify friction or inefficiencies that are there. One of the patterns that are identified in your team report are the centers of expression, which are like preferences in how you express yourself or you relate to the world. In the action center, you're more focused on tasks. So like the teams who rely on the task center or action center the most are asking questions like, what's the goal and how can we get started? They tend to get it done, jump in and focus on results. The thinking center on a team is associated more with process or how. When you're operating from this center more, you're asking questions like, what's the best way to approach this? You analyze, you think it through, and you tend to stay a little more calm. And the feeling center is more focused on people or relationships. When you rely on this center, you're asking questions like, how do people feel about what's happening? You check in more, you listen really well, and you take care of each other. And whether you over-rely or underuse one of those centers of expression can also create certain patterns you can get fixated in, ways that you might over-rely on data or jump into action before you've really gathered enough data, etc. The second pattern we can look at with the data is the instinctual preferences that are present on your team. We all have three basic instinctual drives that are essential for human experience. Think of these as primal body-based forces that are necessary for our survival. They're separate from personality and are behind a lot of our life strategies. They're often unconscious and running in the background, yet they are powerfully directing a fundamental way of being in the world. One of these three tends to be more dominant and is more easily accessed and thus more easily used than the others. 
Some people have two that are very close, but one is always more sleepy. And depending on which instinctual preference is the most sleepy on your team, that can color how you show up in the world and what makes you feel safe and what some of your preferences are around work. The three instinctual preferences are self-preservation, which is concerned with safety, finding a stable structure, having enough resources and feeling comfortable. Then you've got the social instinctual preference, which is more about healthy relationship dynamics, belonging to the group, maybe my relationship to the group or my position within the group. These folks are more focused on group norms and rules and creating a shared purpose. And the last instinctual preference is called one-to-one or sometimes called this sexual instinct. This is less about sex per se and more about the intimacy and um, relationship dynamics. Like these folks are more focused on creating really strong relationships and feeling connected and aligned with other people. They prefer intense experiences and are thinking about impact and legacy. The next pattern we have are social interaction styles. Okay. These three styles tend to answer the question, how do we go about trying to meet our needs? How are we naturally trying to get what we want? And the team interaction style is indicating your typical stance or approach to engaging with the world. And it also can give you clues to like where your team gets energized or how you might show up in everyday circumstances. This gets reported as a stack of your highest, mid, and then lowest. So the three social interaction styles are assertive, compliant, and withdrawn. Assertive folks tend to move against the world in an independent and energetic way, going out of their way to get what they want and need. They find challenges energizing and they like to get to the point and get things done. Their response to resistance is often to push harder rather than to slow down or reflect. Enneagram types eight, three, and seven are the assertive social styles. Then you have the compliant social style. People with this style move towards the world, going along with established norms, rules, and ways of doing things. They are dutiful and cooperative in their efforts to get what they want and need. They want to do what is expected of them within boundaries and limits and appreciate clear expectations from others. Enneagram types one, two, and six are the compliant social styles. And then the withdrawn social style has folks who are said to move away from the world because they tend to look inward and become contemplative in their efforts to get what they want. They may need time and space to process and share their ideas and prefer to disengage or deeply consider issues before responding. Enneagram types four, five, and nine are the withdrawn social styles. So it should be noted that we all use all of these social styles, but our personality tends to resort or default to one of them unconsciously. And you can see that sometimes friction or inefficiency or misunderstandings can happen just in the difference of social styles. So exploring this as a team can really help. And then the team report reports these as a stack where you can see which one ranks the highest on your team and which one's the lowest. And it shows you like a bar chart compared with your leader so that you can start to examine like power dynamics and how the leader style may be similar or different to the team style and what that means for your team and how you guys show up and interact with each other. Okay, so the final pattern that we look at as we're trying to understand each other and build relationships and trust on the team is the conflict styles. Conflict styles describe how we respond when we tend not to get what we want, right? So if the social styles are how do we go about trying to get what we want, 
The conflict styles are what happens when we don't get what we want. The team conflict style represents the conflict response of the team overall and indicates the team's likely focus of attention during periods of conflict or when they do not get what they want. The three conflict styles are avoidant, methodical, and reactive. And again, we all tend to use these three different styles, but one tends to be used more than the others. And your team overall may prefer, like one of these may be more acceptable than the others too. So the avoidant conflict style is also sometimes known as escapist or the positive outlook. This style focuses on making the conflict go away or escaping the impact. People with this style tend to disengage themselves from the situation, taking a positive outlook and moving on quickly. Enneagram types two, seven, and nine are the avoidant types. The methodical conflict styles are also known as the competency style. This emphasizes the need to put personal feelings aside and focus on addressing the situation or challenge in an efficient and effective way. Enneagram types one, three, and five are the methodical types. And finally, you have the reactive conflict styles. Someone with this style is not necessarily aggressive, but they do tend to react strongly and passionately and demand or provoke equally passionate responses from others involved in the situation. Enneagram types four, six, and eight are the more reactive conflict styles. Okay, so that was the third way that I use the Enneagram to help teams reach their potential. We reduce the conflict by increasing the understanding we have of each other and building relationships. So the fourth way that I tend to use the Enneagram to help teams is to help them be more effective in how they communicate. When we run the individual report, you get a lot of information about your style and how you tend to communicate. And this can draw your attention to some unconscious patterns or ways that you tend to show up in conversation that may or may not be helping you. I use an iceberg analogy to talk about the different elements of personality that there are behaviors or thoughts or feeling patterns that are visible on the surface, but there are these other elements that are invisible and live in your subconscious that are driving those visible patterns. Things like mental fixation, emotional patterns, your sense of self, core beliefs about the world, or your default coping strategy for getting what you want that's driven by some unconscious fears. Once you understand these different elements of type, and how your ego creates filters on reality based in a worldview that you've adopted. You can see more clearly how you contribute to each situation and open up to different ways of interpreting what's happening. That's a key stance for resilient and visionary leaders, being open to learning, entertaining the possibility that I might be wrong about something. See, each Enneagram type is driven by a different motivation, and communication and trust will break down when we interpret the actions of others through our own type filters. I'll walk you through the motivation of each type really quick now. I always start with type eight because it's the first in the body center, and then I work my way clockwise around the circle of the Enneagram symbol. So eights have a need to be in control and to be strong. Nines have a need to keep the balance. Ones have a need to do the right or good thing. Twos have a need to be liked and appreciated. Threes have a need to outshine the rest. Fours have to be unique and authentic. Fives have to understand. 
Sixes have to be safe and belong, and sevens have to experience it all and avoid pain. Conscious leaders are the ones that know when they're operating from that constricted ego defensiveness and when they are able to be more intentional and present because they're staying open and curious and can let those defenses down a little bit. Communication is so much easier when you can see things clearly. And as you work with the patterns of type, you can understand where others are coming from and how they might see things a little bit differently, which helps you not to take things so personally when they do come up in conversation. It also helps you to name things more clearly and have more efficient conversations because you can get to the heart of the matter. One of the things I teach my clients are the three layers to a conversation. Most people stay on the surface of what happened. But when you know that the feelings about what happened are really what create these points of friction in relationships, you can talk about that instead of circling around the same set of facts or interpretation about what happened over and over again. Or playing the blame game where you're trying to figure out who's responsible for the mistake or the misstep. And what happens when you play the blame game is that shame is your constant companion for someone. And it's obscuring your vision and preventing you from seeing things more clearly. Your individual report that comes with the test has feedback tips for each of the types. So you can adjust your style to help your message land. See, conscious leaders aren't just intentional about what they say. They're very aware that how they deliver it, the context, is more important than the content. And this information can be used in sales conversations too. Knowing what might be an unconscious need or motivation for a client or what their sensitivities are can help you be more intentional about how you pitch or engage with your clients. Working with the Enneagram can really develop your intuition around people in a way that isn't manipulative. It is an opening up to learning about why people do the things that they do and what helps them to feel safe or get excited. Gosh, what I wouldn't do to have this information early in my career when I was working at Amazon in account management and business development and doing negotiations. Negotiation or getting to yes feels very different when you have this intuitive understanding about those unconscious drivers. You can speak to something that's more real and more true for people and find better compromises and help them genuinely meet their needs in a way that feels like a win-win because there's depth and real authentic connection. When you think about being a more effective communicator, a lot of times we go to like tactics of articulating and posture and commanding the room. But the cool thing about working with the Enneagram types is that there's this whole other layer to communication that is happening at an unconscious level. And if you are blind to your own patterns and the ways that your ego is trying to protect you by limiting what you see, then you can't own your contribution to a situation. You can't see clearly why things are the way they are and how to get out of this mess or how to get to a better feeling state. But when you have the self-awareness and emotional intelligence to understand yourself and the other people on your team or your clients or even your family members, communicating when things come up feels less like a high stakes game where I have to win or be seen or heard. Instead, it's an opportunity to connect, to get better data, and even to heal, to find ways to meet the real underlying needs in a way where we hopefully both get what we want 
But even if it's not possible for both of us to get what we want, we're understanding what those trade-offs are and making the best decision we can for the team with compassion and empathy for what this means for all the parties involved. And that, my friend, is magic. When a team can engage in communication at this level, they are fully invested in each other. And when we're fully invested in each other, we can move with lightning speed to get the result that we want and need as a team. So here's how it works. Each person on the team takes the IEQ 9 test. And when they finish the test, they get like a 42-page report that details everything you need to know about your type. This allows people to start to work with the system immediately without having to understand all the other types. It's a very targeted reference document that you'll use and go back to again and again and again. Then I do a debrief with each person to make sure that this lands for them and makes sense, answer any questions, and make sure that their type resonates for them. The IEQ 9 has a 95% accuracy rating, which is significantly better than any other test on the market. And that's in part because it measures your Enneagram type from lots of different dimensions. So this is the only report that I'm using professionally right now, mainly because it's just efficient way to get to the data quickly and because it allows us to run the team report. So that's the second thing that I'll do. After everybody's taken the test and received their report, and we've had a conversation about how it lands for them and making sure that that type feels right to them, then we'll run the team report. And what the team report does is it will overlay all of your information and then compare the team style with your leaders. And all of the illustrations and bar charts are helping you to visualize this data. It makes it feel more visceral and real. And then we tend to do like a team workshop to explore the results, either virtually or in person. Or I work with the manager to understand these more deeply so that they can start to work with these dynamics on the team and manage their team more effectively. So I've been able to help entrepreneurs who are just building out their team for the first time understand their own unconscious styles and articulate their needs a little bit more deeply, but also understand how the people that they're hiring look at the world a little bit differently or show up for work in a different way, and that those differences aren't necessarily problems once you can name them and understand them. And I've worked with new managers who are increasing the scope of their responsibility, like doubling the size of their team, taking on increasingly bigger responsibilities. Being able to measure the Enneagram type of each person on the team provides invaluable insight into what work might they best be suited for. How can I understand them better when conflict or friction tends to show up? How can I phrase what I need to say in a way that they can, will really understand me the first time to avoid unnecessary friction and misunderstandings? But also, how do I develop my own leadership style? How can I learn to trust myself more? A lot of the work that I'm doing with women who are in management positions is kind of an upleveling of their self-worth and feeling safe enough to let down some of those ego defenses. Because it's not that your ego is bad in and of itself. It's just some places it's not safe to let down your defenses and you want to be able to discern when it is safe and when it isn't and when that defensiveness is getting in your way and when it's serving you. Okay, hopefully that gives you a sense of all the different ways that you can start to use the Enneagram at work. Now, I don't do all of this all at once, but usually there's like one particular thing that a manager or a team will come to me with where they need the most help and will start working very deeply in one area. 
You can go to uplevelingwork.com to see the show notes for this episode. There you'll find the concentric circle model and the quadrant graph that I was describing. So you can visualize that a little bit more. And I'll include a link to reach out to me if you're interested in working together. Working with the Enneagram has been transformative for a lot of the teams that I work with. And I cannot wait to get this in the hands of as many leaders as possible. Till next time. Thank you for joining me on this episode of Upleveling Work. To view the complete show notes and all the links mentioned in today's episode, visit uplevelingwork.com. That's where you can search by the episode number in order to find the transcripts and any downloads or resources mentioned in the podcast. That's also where you can find my 10 Mistakes Managers Make ebook, which explains the most common mistakes managers tend to fall into. My intention is to save you the wasted time and energy that these failed solutions cost you. That way you can become a more effective leader while playing to your natural strengths. Before you go, make sure you subscribe to the podcast so you can receive new episodes right as they're released. And if you're enjoying the podcast, I'd love to ask you to leave a review in Apple Podcasts. Reviews are one of the major ways new podcasts get noticed, and it would really make a difference if you could take a minute to write a review. Thank you for joining me, Michelle K. Anderson, on this episode of Upleveling Work. I'll see you next time.